Acts chapter 21. We're going to be starting in verse 37 this morning, and we're going to go all the way through uh, chapter 22, verse 29. Like we're all getting close, so let's pray and we'll get into this. Father, we're grateful today for the opportunity to worship you in this beautiful, beautiful morning. The opportunity to come together and sing your praises and open your word. We're grateful for quick healings and praying for others who are sick. We just lift them up all to you. Pray that you would, your will would be done. We're grateful to know that your hand is on the all. And as we get into this today, Lord, I pray as we think about Paul's testimony, that we would be people who also think well about our testimony and are ready to share that at every given moment. Lord, help us to be guided by the Spirit and help us to be people who are often willing and seen sharing uh, this beautiful news that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. We love you. In your Son's name, I pray. Amen. All right. So when we left Paul last week, he was in Roman custody. Right, he's ended his third missionary journey by heading up to Jerusalem. And as events have unfolded there, we saw the, the prophecies that people were having about him being chained up. It's come true. Right, it, would, it would take re-preaching most of last week's sermon to catch everybody up if you didn't catch last week's. It, if you need to catch up, you'll have to go listen to that on uh, on the website. That'll fill you in with all the details. Uh, but what I will remind you of is that the Jews grabbed Paul while he was worshiping in the temple. Right? They dragged him out of the temple, and there they tried to beat him to death until Roman soldiers stepped in and saved him from a frenzied crowd. Uh, they chained him up. And they were taking him away as the Jews were shouting, get rid of him. And that's not like, oh, make sure that guy goes away. They're like, make sure that guy goes away. They want him dead. Right, so the crowd is so big and everyone is acting so crazy that the Roman soldiers had to pick Paul up, carry him through the crowd to get to the barracks. So that's how bad things have gotten. Is completely out of control. So I want you to think about this, right? Paul was beaten near to death. He's standing in front of the barracks, beaten and bloody. He's standing in chains just like it was predicted. And I want you to think about that as we get into our passage this morning. Keep that in the back of your mind. We're going to get started with verses 37 to 39. We're going to hit that real quick, and then we're going to roll on through because we got a lot to cover today. Acts 21, 37 39. It says, As he was about to be brought into the barracks, Paul said to the commander, Am I allowed to say something to you? He replied, You don't have to speak Greek. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt some time ago and led 4,000 men of the assassins into the wilderness? Paul said, I'm a Jewish man from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of an important city. Now I ask you, let me speak to the people. So right off the bat, we see the Roman soldiers have no idea who Paul is, right? It'll become apparent uh, later on that they have no idea why Paul was being beaten up. They have no clue. They just heard commotion 
They, they got information that something was going on. They rushed down there to see what's happening. They try to get information from the crowd, but as has happened before in one of these riots, some people are saying one thing, some people are saying another. Most of them don't even know why they're excited, right? And so the, the soldiers aren't able to figure out what's happening. Now, for some reason, it's not explained, they assumed Paul was an Egyptian leader of a group of assassins who led a revolt a while ago. Right? As, as much detail as Luke tends to give in some of these accounts, I would like to have learned a little bit more about the Egyptian assassin leader. Right? All we know is that Paul might look like him. Don't know. Right? But obviously he's not an assassin from Egypt. Right? The commander was very surprised when Paul started speaking to him in Greek. Right? Paul cleared up the misunderstanding, saying, no, I'm not some Egyptian assassin leader living in the wilderness. I'm a Jew from Tarsus of Cilicia. And it says, Paul has a request. Right? He wants to speak to the people who just tried to beat him to death. Right Now, imagine this was you for a second. Imagine that you have just gotten dragged out of this place by a frenzied crowd. They drag you out to the front yard and they start beating you, trying to kill you. So much so that when the cops show up, they have to carry you out of the crowd to even get you close to the squad car. All, right? All of a sudden, you find yourself there and an idea hits you. I'd like to say something to these people. What are you going to say? I mean, for me, I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit would kick in right around that time and remind me of who I am in Christ and remind me of what Paul would say to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 29, which says, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Because I'm not going to be happy. Right, if I were in his position, giving grace to these people who had just tried to kill me again after trying before and before and before, right? grace would not have been my instinctual response. Right? Not my gut reaction in the, in the moment like this. And as I'm sitting there beaten and bloody and incarcerated, right? so I get beaten up, I get drugged out, almost killed, and then I'm going to jail? How does that work? Now, I would need a double dose of the love of Christ and the filter of the Holy Spirit to make a solid, godly choice of what I would say to these people, especially the choice that Paul makes. All right, Paul, yet again, amazes me at his love for Christ. And he amazes me at his love for his enemies. Because instead of telling all these people where to go and what to do when they get there, right, Paul instead tries to relate to them with his testimony in hopes that they would hear and come to faith in Christ. Right? Now, show hands. Whose first reaction is that? Anybody? At least you're honest. I like it. Right? Let's look at that together. We're going to go from verse 40 here through all the way to 22, uh, but we're going to take breaks along the way. All right, so follow along with me. It says there, after he had given permission, so the commander is giving Paul permission to speak, Paul stood on the steps and motioned with his hands to the people. When there was a great hush, he addressed them in Aramaic. 
Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in Aramaic, they became even quieter. He continued, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strictness of our ancestral law. I was zealous for God, just as all of you are today. I persecuted this way to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail, as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. After I received letters from them to the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to arrest those who were there and bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. I'll take our first break there. The first thing that you might notice is that Paul is both proficient in Greek and Aramaic, or Hebrew. All right? He speaks Greek to the commander of the Roman soldiers, and then he seems to slip effortlessly uh, into Aramaic to speak to this enraged crowd. Right, so this is one of the good reasons why Paul was a great choice to be the apostle to the Gentiles. It's hard to share the gospel with someone when you don't speak their language. But when you can relate to someone in their native tongue, it has a profound effect on their willingness to listen to you. So Paul starts speaking Aramaic, and the crowd settles down to listen to what he has to say. And what does Paul have to say? He says, I am one of you. Right? I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but raised in Jerusalem. I was educated at, by, at the feet of one of the most prolific teachers that this city has ever known. And he follows that the strict ancestral law, our strict ancestral law. And that's an important thing to note. Gamaliel was one of the most respected teachers that Jerusalem ever produced. I mean, you didn't lightly sit at his feet and learn. That alone should have earned him some points with his hearers. And after that, Paul tries to connect again with these people by telling them that he was zealous for God just as they are, probably even more. Right? Because he wasn't content with just beating Christian men to death one at a time uh, if he found a reason to get involved with. Right? Now, he was proactive. Right? He pursued permission to chase them down wherever they might be to throw them in jail. Men, women, didn't matter. And if a few of them died in the process of getting them to jail, all the better. Paul's saying, you guys are weak in your zeal. I mean, I went after these people. He said, if you don't believe me, you can go and speak to the high priest and the whole council of elders to have them testify to you about my zeal. And he was all about persecuting the people of the way. He tried to take the permission that they gave him all the way to Damascus in order to arrest those who had fled the persecution that he kind of started in Jerusalem. So the persecution hits, they scatter, and he's like, oh no, no, I'm coming too, and I'm bringing you back here, and you're going to jail, and I hope you die. Paul was zealous for this pursuit. Now this is who Paul was before he encountered Christ. If we're believers here today, we all have a story that comes before our salvation experience with Jesus. 
Right? We all have a before story. Right? No one is born a Christian. Because of the fall of Adam and Eve, every single one of us is born with a sin nature that opposes the perfect, holy, righteous nature of God. Out of that sin nature, we do all kinds of things that do not line up with God's nature or His law. We don't worship Him the way that He deserves to be worshipped. Right? We adore other things instead, and it's usually ourselves. Usually the greatest object of our affection is us. Now, we don't love the way that He commands us to love. Now, we dishonor our parents. If you have young kids, you know that that happens often. Now, we murder out of our anger. We commit adultery out of the lust in our heart. Now, we steal the things that we want and either can't or just refuse to pay for. We lie to get out of trouble or uh, taking in responsibility for something. Right, we covet the things that other people have because we think we deserve that. Why do they have that? I should have that. I'm this, this, and this, and they're just this, this, and this. Right? That's the Ten Commandments if you're wondering. And because of our rebellion, we are separated from God because we have decided to wild out and make ourselves our own authority. We decided to pursue anything and everything other than God because we want anything and everything other than Him. Right? We were created for a relationship with Him. And in our sin, that's the last thing that we are interested in from birth. Right? If we persist in that rebellion until death, it means that we will remain separated from God forever. Now, this was Paul's story. This was your story. But we get to see here in just a minute that Paul has another part of his story. But this is the part where he meets Jesus. We're looking at verses 6 uh, to 22. As as I was traveling and approaching Damascus, about noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, Who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. I said, What shall I do, Lord? The Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything that you have been assigned to do. Since I couldn't see you because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and went into Damascus. Someone named Ananias, a devout man according to the law, who had a good reputation with all the Jews living there, came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour I looked up and saw him. And he said, The God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will to see the righteous one, and to hear the words from his mouth, since you will be a witness for him to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you delayed? Get up and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. After I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him telling me, Hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. But I said, Lord, they know that in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten, 
and the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I was there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. He said to me, Go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. They listened to him up to this point. Then they raised their voices, shouting, Wipe this man off the face of the earth. He should not be allowed to live. Now, if you were here a long time ago, when we were going through chapter 9 of Acts, this story is going to be familiar to you. Right, we have a few more details in this version of it than we were given in Acts chapter 9. But we see in this that Paul, then known as Saul, right? It's not some, like I've heard people say, well, he came to Christ and then his name changed. Well, no, this is just the Greek version of his name and the Hebrew version of his name. Right, so the Greeks knew him, or the Hebrews knew him as Saul, and the Greeks knew him as Paul. Right, so Saul, on his way to Damascus to persecute the church, finds himself face to face with Jesus on the road in this brilliantly blinding light. Right, the, the light was so bright that it outshined the noonday sun. Right? Where it's so high in the sky that it doesn't even cast shadows, this light was brighter than that. Jesus then asks when he stands in front of Saul and says, Saul, Saul, why are we persecuting you? And Saul doesn't know who's speaking. Doesn't know who he is. And so he says, Who are you, Lord? He says, Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. Now, Jesus identifies with the suffering of his people. When persecution comes against his church, he takes it personally. And Saul, at the time, is at a loss. He doesn't know what to do, so he asks Jesus what he should do. And he's led into Damascus where a man named Ananias is going to come and heal him. And all this is going to sound like it's completely out in left field for Paul's listeners. But notice in the words that he says, he's still trying to connect the dots. For these people. He's still trying to gain rapport with them and say, I'm still with you. Alright, we're still together in this. He said that Ananias was a devout man according to the law. Made sure to throw that in there. Made sure to tell everybody that he had a good reputation among the Jews. Alright, so this man comes to me when I was blind. And it was important enough to, to note it. See, I do care about the law. That's what he's saying here. Right? The God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will. The God of our ancestors. Right? So he's saying, hey, remember Ananias, that guy I just mentioned, who was well versed in the law and well thought of among the Jews? He said, our ancestors. So Ananias thought of me as part of his people. He says, you're going to be sent out wants to know, hey, why are you still here? He says, get up, get baptized, wash away your sins, calling his name. That's a beautiful line there. Now, you should read that and smile. Right, Paul has come to faith in Christ. He's told to get up, get baptized, and to wash away his sins by calling on his name. All of Paul's past sins are forgiven in Christ. To be clear, though, it, it can read a little weird. When he says, washing away the sin, he's talking about calling on the name, not the baptism. Just, 
as a side note there. But this is Paul's story. This is how he met Jesus. When he met Jesus, when he put his faith in Jesus, there is now no condemnation for him at all. When he got up, his sins were wiped clean, clean slate. Nothing else to be held on to by God because he now possesses the righteousness of Christ. And if you put your faith in Jesus, this is your story as well. Right? You have a conversion moment as well. Now, some people can't point to it. Like, you know, I was saved on July 9th, 1974 at 3.03 in the morning. I don't have any idea about all that. I know the general idea of when I got saved. But I have a moment, and you have a moment, where you went from death to life. Where you went from being a child of wrath, a child of wrath to an heir to the king. Co-heirs with Christ. Right, you have a unique ability to do like Paul is doing here and to tell people your story. You get to share what God has done for you. You get to start with who you were before Christ and then you get to tell them about how you came to faith in Christ. And since Paul had their attention, he also mentions what he did after meeting Christ and this is where he loses he was told by Jesus to be a witness to all people, telling them what he had seen and heard. And when he mentioned that Jesus sent him away from the Jews because they would not accept his testimony about him, they lost it. Right? That roused them back up again. Look at that in verses 23 to 29. It says, As they were yelling and flinging aside their garments and throwing dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought back into the barracks, directing that he be interrogated with the scourge to discover the reason they were shouting against him like this. As they stretched him out for the lash, Paul said to the centurion standing by, Is it legal for you to scourge a man who is a Roman citizen and is uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went and reported to the commander, saying, What are you going to do? This man is a Roman citizen. The commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, he said. The commander replied, I bought this citizenship for a large amount of money. Paul said, but I was born a citizen. So those who were about to examine him, and we'll put examine in quotation marks, right? Those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. The commander, too, was alarmed when he realized Paul was a Roman citizen and he had been bound. All right, so in these verses, after being rejected yet again by the Jews, we see the wisdom of Paul. We've seen it time and time again as he has gone throughout his missionary journey. You get to see another instance of it here. Because Paul was speaking in Aramaic, the soldiers still had no idea why they're mad. But everything that just happened happened to deaf ears because what did that guy say? I have no idea. Let's go beat him until we can find out. So, this scourging that they were about to do is absolutely sadistic. It's, it's so brutal. It's, 
leather straps that would have pieces of bone and little metal shards tied to the end of it. And so that when it came across your back, it clung to it and ripped flesh out. Now, so this is how they're going to examine him. This is how they plan to get information from him. Many people die just from this beating. Now, Paul, though, knows the law and the law. Right? He knows the law of God backwards and forwards. And as a Roman citizen, he also knows Roman law. And Roman law states that a Roman citizen cannot be bound or beaten without first having a trial and then being condemned. Right? And it seems to have been a very serious law because as soon as this is found out that he is a Roman citizen who has been both bound and almost beaten without a trial, they both back away, or they all back away. So something went down here. I don't know if maybe you take the person's place. If you do that unlawfully, not sure. But it was severe enough that it made the commander afraid. But here we have Paul getting arrested, giving his testimony, showing his wisdom. Now what do we need to take from this? What's the application for us here? I've got six. I'm going to run through them. Actually, seven. I'm going to run through them real quick. Real quick. Number one, love your enemies. First and foremost, I think, here is love your enemies. Even after you've been beaten down by a group of them, see if you can convert some of them. All right. For me, that's going to take a huge dose of the Holy Spirit in that moment. But we are called by God to love our enemies. Number two. Take the opportunities that you are given to share your testimony. Create those opportunities if you can. It can be a powerful evangelistic tool. Right? People in this day and age, they refute what the Bible says. Right? They don't want to see objective truth for what it really is. But one of the things that kind of works well in the nonsense of this day and age is that I have my truth. You have your truth, apparently, which doesn't make any sense if they, they conflict. But I have a truth that you can't refute because it's how I feel. Right? So, therefore, my story is relevant. And you need to hear it, and you shouldn't refute it because you can hurt my feelings. So, with your story, you have a unique experience that can be put out there as a solid evangelistic tool. Tell me your story, I'll tell you mine. That, I've used that one often. So, what do you believe? And they'll tell me something. There was a guy that I used to work with. He told me some transcendental chakra, something universal. And I said, that sounds really interesting, and I've never heard of that. Can we go grab a bite to eat and talk? And he said, sure. And so we go out. He tells me how all the world's connected by these little strings, karma pushes those strings. And so I'm like, so is karma God? He's like, well, mm. I was like, well, how does karma direct the strings? Mm. You know, it got a little, it got a little wiggly in there. And then at the end of that conversation, we turn around and I got to give him my testimony. This is what I think is significant in the world, right? 
I'm born a sinner. I have fallen from the grace of God because I have chosen to rebel against him. But Jesus came to live the perfect life, die the death that I deserve, was raised again, showing that his sacrifice was sufficient. And when I put my faith in him, I'm free. Now that guy didn't come to faith. Still hasn't as far as I'm aware. It's heard the gospel. Share your testimony every chance you get. And if you get the opportunity, make the chance. Tell me about yourself. I'll tell you about me two years ago. Alright? Take the time. Make the time. Number three, relate to the people that you're sharing with the best you can. Now you see throughout that entire time that Paul was sharing his testimony. He was trying to talk. We're together. Right? I'm, I'm with you. You are my people. Like, Paul loves the Jewish people so much. He says something crazy in the book of Romans where he's like, I love them so much that I would switch places with them if I could. That's nuts. I, I have no idea how Paul could understand the things of God the way that he does and say, I, I'll switch with you because I love you that much. So he's trying to tie it in. He's trying to say, hey, look, we're on this level footing here, especially at the foot of the cross. Right, make it, put it in such a way that they can understand, the way that they can tie in. And God has uniquely created you to be around the people that you are around so that you can relate to them. Right? I've, I've heard before, I don't know that anyone has ever Try this with me yet, but they're like, hey, will you come share the gospel with this person that I know? I mean, I've heard that happening in the past, but here's the thing. I'll train you to share the gospel to that person. I don't know them, but you do. At the very least, you know, like, hey, hey, guy that I wave to when I take the garbage out, right? that's more than I know. Right? But you have the ability to speak into people's life because God puts you in their lives for a reason. Now, that might mean that you need to be more proactive about being in their life. Right? Not being the, the culture that drives up to the house, hits the garage door, then goes up, you drive in, garage door comes down, and your neighbors never see you again until you hit it again to go to work the next day. Now, we might need to be a little bit more proactive. But when we are proactive, when we do make it a point to share the gospel with these people, try to relate it to them in, in ways that they can understand. Right, number four, be calm. Right, everybody wants to freak out when it comes to sharing the gospel. Right, it's so unknown. What's going to happen? What are they going to do? Right? Will they get saved? Look, it's not your job to save people. Right? It's just your job to deliver the message. God does the saving, you do the, the delivery. Right? Also, remember that the people you're sharing with are not your enemy. They're not. Even if they're hostile to you, they're not your enemy. Right? We're battling against the rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 6. These people, even if they're mean to you, are not your enemy. Our enemy goes well beyond this. 
But just remember that. These people are lost. They're blind. They're slaves to sin. They cannot set themselves free. God sets them free. But in Romans 10, it says, how is that going to happen if people don't take the message? It's how beautiful are the feet of those who share the message. So even when they're hostile, we share the message. People that are being hateful to you are actually being hateful to Jesus, not you. I had a guy one time, I was meeting with a friend for lunch, and it came out. I mean, I, I didn't even have a chance to speak. I didn't know the guy's name. My friend literally introduced us and said, this is my friend Chris. He goes to the seminary up the road. He's, and the guy's name was something I'm not going to say. But he said, hi, my name is such and such, and I hate everything that you believe. <laughs> Six words out of his mouth or something, and, I, and, and that was how he introduced himself to me. I was stunned. I didn't know what to do. I got locked up. I was like, okay. That was it. That's all I had. All right, we had lunch. It was awkward. It is when you start conversations like that. Uh, but, you know, that dude didn't hate me. He hates Jesus. I didn't take it personally. I just didn't know how to respond. I locked up. But when people are being hateful towards you because of the gospel, it's not you that they're being hateful towards it's the God of the universe that these people are trying to spar with. And we are held to lose that battle as we share the gospel with them. All right, number five, be respectful. All right, Paul can be respectful to the people that just beat him bloody. Then we can be respectful when someone that we're dealing with starts calling them things. Right? Maybe it does turn violent. Not typically in, in our culture at this point. I think it will get there. But in our culture, we don't really deal with violence. Right? But be respectful. In all of those moments, show that there is something greater in you than the vitriol that's in them. Right? Here, the most that we're pretty much going to deal with is indifference, and indignation, and ignorance. All right? It's going to be the most common things that we're going to experience. All right? They're not going to care. Eh, whatever. Not interested. They're going to be upset. All right? Because you did just tell them that they're going to hell. All right? You got all the way through the gospel. All right? Or they're going to be ignorant about it. They're going to be like, I mean, I think I'm good. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, okay. Well, that you don't live like it, but you think you are. Okay, all right. We'll pray for you. All right, those are going to be the three things that you receive when you do this. Number six, be bold. What's the worst thing that can happen? What's the worst thing that can happen? You're going to lose your relationship? I mean, that's hard. It is. You're going to lose your job? You need money. Right, lose, lose buddy. In really extreme cases, you might lose your life, but seriously, how often does that happen around here? So what's the worst that can happen? All right. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37-39. 
He says, the one who loves a father or a mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. Anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. It's worth it. It's worth it to follow me. Again, in Matthew 16, 24, and 27, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what what profit a man he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So what's the worst that can happen if you share your faith with someone? Now let's flip that around. What's the worst thing that can happen if you don't? Now we're talking about someone who will spend eternity somewhere. Right now, listen. God's going to save who God's going to save. So I'm not saying that's all on you. But the reality is, when you walk out these doors and you go into wherever you're going next, the people there will spend eternity somewhere. Worst thing that can happen to me, I lose some dignity, maybe. Right? I lose a relationship. I lose a job. Potentially my life, not likely. But if I don't, and nobody does, what's the worst that's going to happen to them? They're going to spend an eternity in hell. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just pointing out a reality. So think about that as you go. These people are going somewhere. Process that. Be bold in your faith. And lastly, number seven, when you share, because I know you do, when you share, give them these three parts. Who you were before you met Christ, how you met Christ, and who you are now that Christ has saved you and changed your life. Now you might think that your story is not extravagant. Paul sees a blinding white light as Jesus shows up on the street in Damascus, on his way to Damascus. He's blinded, has the miraculously removed, right? And then he's sent out. He hears... He hears and sees Jesus, goes up to the third heaven. Like he's got this really amazing story. And you're like, dude, I got, I got saved when I was seven. And I didn't, I didn't really wild out before that. Wasn't a whole lot of drug use going on in kindergarten, first, second grade. <coughs> right after that, I was just in church the whole time. Here I am still, I'm still in church. That's, you know, that's good, right? And so people look at their story and they're like, that, it's, not, it's not cool. You don't want to have a cool story, okay? Like you don't want to have that in your past to constantly come back up and try to bite you in the butt as you move forward through your life. You don't want to remember your regrets. That's awesome. And listen, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And Christ brought you back to life. That is a miracle. You have an amazing story. Uh, your story involves the God of the universe coming to earth to live a life that you couldn't live for your benefit 
so that he can take away all your condemnation. Everything that you owe the Father, he took it for you and he gave you his righteousness. That's a cool story. And if you call yourself a Christian here today, that's your story. That's amazing. Paul never got over his. And I hope you have never gotten over your conversion story. Right, where are you now? Hopefully just one day further along than you were yesterday. Constantly trying to be a little bit more like Jesus. Are you going to fall down? Absolutely. Does it stink? Yes. Do you need to carry the burden of that forever? No. Jesus carried it for you to the cross and left it there. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful. So grateful for the cross. I'm grateful for Paul's testimony. He gives hope to people all over the place who seem so unreachable. And yet you reach them. You've changed his life forever. And because you changed his life forever, you've changed millions of lives forever. And I want to be part of that story. I want for people to say someday that because you saved Chris, I got hurt because of the gospel. And I pray that that desire is on the hearts of every single person here today. They're so radically impacted by their conversion that they just can't stop telling people about it. And many people would come to faith, they would be saved. And we would see this place grow because of new people coming from death to life. I'm begging for this, Lord. It's in your son's precious name, my friend. Amen.